0: Welcome. You're listening to audio from Life Church in Chico, California. We're so glad that you're here. Life Church's mission is simply to connect people to Jesus. And you can find out more about our mission and who we are on our website at lifechurchchico.org. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning, Second Service. Awesome. Uh, we're doing better this morning than I kind of thought we might with spring break and losing an hour of sleep and. Look at you, bright eyed and bushy tailed. Okay, um, so if you don't know me, my name is Lana Leahy. I'm an associate pastor here at Life Church with my husband Bob, who did announcements. And we have two little kids um, that are back in life kids right now. And uh, we also lead a young adults group on Tuesday nights at our house. Um, so that's a lot of fun. And then I um, usually during second service, I'm with our third through fifth graders. Um, we call those our tweens, and they're my favorite people. So um, nothing against you guys, but they're they're way more fun. Um, but I'm so happy to be here this morning. I just want to pray real quick just for the message. Um, Father God, I just thank you for what you have to say to us this morning. Father, I pray that you would um, speak through me. Lord, that you would even speak through um, just the the thoughts and the things that come to our minds and that you place on our hearts as as we listen this morning, Jesus. I, um, I just want to give you all the glory, God. And um, and so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill this place, Father, that we would um, just be able to hear what you're saying, God. That you would tune our hearts and tune our minds to you. Amen. All right. Well. Um, so we've been in the middle of a series called Comfort and Contentment, um, and so this is, this is where we find ourselves this morning, and I want to just kind of take a second to um, sort of tease out those two words, because I think there are things that, they're similar in a lot of ways, but they're very different in some really important ways. Um, the way that I think about it is kind of similar to joy and happiness, you know what I mean? Joy is this kind of deep, abiding, sort of like soul level thing, whereas happiness is is kind of circumstantial. Um, and so, when we talk about comfort, we're talking about all of the sort of materialistic, sort of um, just things that make our physical bodies and our and our minds sort of comfortable, especially in um, our current time, in the era that we live in, Um, whereas contentment is something deeper. It's that soul level thing. It's the thing that keeps us going no matter what our circumstances are. We can find contentment in those things if we have some some things in place. So that's what we're talking about. Um, You can find comfort in contentment, I think, um, but if you're striving for a life of comfort, I think it's pretty rare to find contentment in that. Um, Sometimes it helps to look at it from a different angle. So as I was kind of preparing this, I ran across the definition for discontent, and I thought it was so poignant. Um, It says, a lack of satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation, or a restless aspiration for improvement. A lack of satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation, or a restless aspiration for improvement. I was like, that's the world that we live in. Is it not... That's the situation we're in. Um, There's not a lot of contentment to be found in the world today. Um, I don't know if you guys, uh, you know, spend a lot of time in kindergarten reading material, but there's a book called, I do, my kid's six, so um, he just turned six. There's a book called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, And it's real cute because the boy gives the mouse a cookie and then he wants some milk and then he wants something to go with the milk and then he wants something to go with that. And that's just kind of this idea of when we're chasing after comfort, that's kind of what it looks like. We get the thing and then we want more things. Um, So let's see. Uh, the verse that we're kind of camping out on is Philippians 4.13, which is kind of unusual because it's it's a verse that we usually think about when we're up against like something that's hard or there's something that we really want. And like, you know, we have to kind of work ourselves up to, to do the thing. Um, it says, uh, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And so sometimes you'll see that like athletes will have that, you know, written on their shoes or their helmet or whatever. Um, but the, the interesting context of that verse is actually contentment. And so if we back up in look at verse 12 it says um, this is Paul talking so Paul's an apostle to the Gentiles this is after Jesus has um, has died and, and risen and um, and this this early church is kind of um, taking off and Paul is uh, has been sent to the Gentiles and so he has this really big job of taking what used to just be for you know the Jewish people and and taking that to everybody else um, us included. I like to tell my tweens, I'm like, we're all sitting here right now because the apostle Paul did his job, um, did his assignment. So he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul's saying, I can endure anything because I see the bigger picture. I know that whatever I'm going through, it's for it's for something bigger. Um, And we have to remember that God's kingdom is upside down. His kingdom doesn't make a lot of sense. It's very opposite of what our Western world um, would say to us. We can't measure how well we're doing in God's kingdom by how good we feel and how how comfortable we are. Whereas in life, if we talk about, you know, how how successful a person is, it's usually we're measuring that by, you know, how are they doing? What do they have? How do they feel? Right? It's not that way in God's kingdom. Um, I think two really great examples of this are Paul and Jesus, obviously. So Paul, you know, um, had a deep contentment in his life, but if you look at it, he wasn't super comfortable. He didn't have a lot of things, Um, and the same with Jesus. But they were confident in who God is and who they were in him, and so they were confident with who God created them to be in the plans that he had for their lives. You see that? Um, You could say that they were secure in their identity, And that's kind of what I want to talk about today is is being content with who we are. Because I think that, you know, there's a contentment that has to do with our stuff, but it really kind of comes back to who we are. Um, Like, we want those things because it says something about us. Um, So we have to begin this conversation with talking about who God is as as believers. That's where the conversation begins. Because if we get that wrong, then everything else is going to be out of whack right it's kind of like if you're you're building something and and the foundation is crooked i made a cake for my kids birthday the other week and um it was like one of those layer cakes i had like five layers and so it was super important actually i froze them and then i don't know some of you guys understand this. Some of you guys are like, don't care. It's fine. Um, but anyways, I froze them and I just kind of like threw them in the freezer and I wasn't real careful about like how flat they were. And so this, the bottom layer when it froze was like all wonky. And I was like, I can't set, I can't set the other layers on that or it's going to look like a Dr. Seuss cake, right? It's going to be all crazy. So I had to to kind of do some work to get that thing level. So this is that bottom cake layer um, is, you know, who God is. We have to get that right Um it really it changes everything, so i had a um I had a friend in college who ended up walking away from the Lord um really sad because you know we we went through college together, we were believers, and then um, he decided he made a decision um later on to become an atheist, and the reasoning for his choice he said was that to him god God felt like a needy girlfriend like Like, God was just never quite happy. Like, he always wanted more, um, and he was, you know, clingy and that kind of stuff. And, And I just remember, like, just thinking, wow, that's not the God that I know. Like, there's a big difference, right? We, we must know two different gods because, in, in, you know, the God, the God that I know is, is like the opposite of that. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the book of Hosea, but there's a book in the Bible called Hosea. And so Hosea is a prophet, and um, and God um, often, you know, he told the prophets to do things that would kind of be like a picture of, of something that he was trying to communicate to his people. And so he told Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Like knowing that she was gonna be unfaithful, knowing that it was gonna be really hard. But he did that because it's a picture of of God and us, basically, of, of Jesus and his church. And in that scenario, we're the needy girl friends, right? It's not God. If we if we have a feeling about God like that, then then the problem is with us, not with him. Um so Matthew 16, 14. Um Jesus asked the disciples an important question. Um, I'm going to read it. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea uh, Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and it's interesting, I think, that first he says, who does everybody else say that I am, right? Who does my friend say that you are? Well, my friend says you're like a needy girlfriend, right? There are a lot of, there are a lot of voices in the world who will tell you who God is. They'll tell you what they think about it. But Jesus is interested in, in what we say. He says, "Who do you say that I am?" And this was such an important question for these disciples because um, we're going through the book of Acts right now with my with our young adults group. It's been awesome because we get to see kind of this early church after Jesus has gone to heaven and given them, you know, this mission and and what are they doing? And um, all of these disciples are are like. Living it out. Like they are taking the gospel and running with it. they're preaching. they're they're being empowered. they're being bold. and and they're so different in the book of Acts than they were in the Gospels because in the Gospels they were still kind of clueless. They were like fumbling, trying to figure it out. They were very confused about some things. Um, and then we see them really step into their calling. And I really think that that the crux was this. Jesus says, "Who do you say that I am?" You have to get this thing right. If they had answered that question wrongly, they wouldn't have been able to move forward and do the things that they did. Um, And I think the same is true for us, that if we get that question wrong, it's going to drastically affect our future, just like it did for my friend. Um, So I have this list. Um, I was trying to, just as a pastor, just, it's, If there's one thing that I want for you guys, it's to know who God is. Like, that'll fix everything, right? If you can know who he is, if you can be in his presence, if you can get that part right, it'll fix, like, 99% of the other issues in our lives. Um, And so I started to kind of pull out these verses about, you know, who God is, and then I just realized, I think you just need the list. Like, here's the entire list. This is just off the top of my head, right? This is not exhaustive. You have to read the whole Bible to to know the whole story, but... um, but I want you to, I don't ask you to get your phones out in church very often, but go ahead and pull your phones out. And I want you to take a picture of this list because I want you to have it. Later on, when, when life happens, when you, know, you, when you wonder who God is, I want you to be able to come back to this and look at it. I'll give you a second to do that. A few weeks ago, I spoke about repentance. And so we were talking about how repentance is really just agreeing with God, right? And I think another part of repentance is is maybe recognizing when we've misjudged God or when we've had a wrong idea of who he is and what he wants for us. Um, and we spoke about how, you know, repentance isn't something that we should, like, Fear or dread, or just have like negative feelings about that it's actually a really wonderful thing that because Jesus died, we get to do that. We get to recognize that that our view of who God is is wrong, and then we get to fix that. Um, it's like a chiropractic adjustment. I don't know about you guys, but I really look forward to going to the chiropractor sometimes like and just you know getting it back in order. Um, God knows that we're we're prone to see him the wrong way, like it's gonna happen, even if you know I've been a believer for now too many years to do math. I don't even remember, since I was like 16. Um, and I've had, I constantly have to come back and, and hold my idea of who God is up to this list and remember where I might be getting it wrong in some places. So repentance, there's no shame in that. It's a wonderful thing. Um, it's kind of like getting glasses, you know, being able to see clearly. And God is so happy when we finally pick up the glasses and put them on. Um, so take time to repent. Um, so once we have a proper understanding of who God is, then we're able to see ourselves clearly, right? If, we, if we're not looking at him right, we're not gonna see ourselves right. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And I think that we need to ask Jesus the same question. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? I think we need to look at Jesus and say, who do you say that I am? So here's another list of some universal truths about who who we are in Christ. Um, This list is important because it's the truth about who we are despite our actions, our abilities, our experiences, and our thoughts. No matter who you are as a believer, this is who you are in Jesus. As Christians, we live in the realm of already but not yet. It's kind of a weird place to be. Like this is who we are, even though maybe we're not walking these things out yet. But this is a promise to us that as we take steps in that direction, that um, just like the song that we sang this morning, um, I can't even remember what it was talking about. I'm going to see a victory, right? So as we take steps in this direction, we're we're promised victory. We know how the story ends, right? We know that these things belong to us in Christ, and that as we gain ground and as we take a hold of those things, that they're already ours. Um, so this. This is the context of I can do all things, right? Paul's saying, I can do all things because I know who I am. I know who I am in Jesus. Um, this stands in, in contrast to this idea of self-love, which is like a, a pretty pervasive thing in our culture nowadays. And um, There's a lot of self-love. And I understand why this is a thing, because some of us really struggle to see ourselves as deserving of love. And so then we love other people to our detriment, which creates this vicious cycle, right? And we, we have this feeling that we always need, you know, that there's a lack of self-love, that we need to accept ourselves and love ourselves. Um, but uh, Pastor Rob at our, Bob and I, when we were um, at the church in Yuba City, he used to say, your heart, love is your heart focused on someone else's highest good. That's the definition of love. Your heart focused on another's highest good. So as a Christian, then self-love would be your heart focused on your highest good which is all that God has for you, right? So in that, in that way, um, self-love might actually look a lot more like self-discipline or kind of like parenting yourself. But again, this is, you know, we have to see God rightly as a loving parent, right? We might have had a model of a parent that, that skewed our idea of who God might be as a parent to us. Um, but, you know, the way that I love my toddler does not always feel loving to her. Like, all the time, <laughs> We disagree quite a lot about what is the loving thing for mom to be doing right now. And sometimes it's like that with God as well. So um, the Bible says, though, that we love because he first loved us. So we can't take love out of the context of God. That was his idea. He's literally love. We don't even have that thing except for him. Um, I don't know if there's any other Reliant K fans um in the room today, but I was listening Uh, this week, and one of their songs ends with this line that I thought was um, pretty apt. It says, I don't want to be perceived the way I am. I just want to be perceived the way I am. That's so true, right? Like, we just want people to see the good stuff. I don't want to be perceived the way I am. I just want to be perceived the way I am. That's social media in a nutshell. Um, And the other day, I was praying, and God showed me a picture of myself looking in a mirror and I realized that I spend a lot of time kind of looking at myself and trying to figure out what other people see and whether or not I like that image. And I think we all do that, right? I won't out you, but I think I'm not the only one. But this only leads to, to like this false confidence or despair. Like it never quite leads us to a, to a place of contentment. Um, but in that picture, I saw God standing behind the mirror and just, he was just waiting. He was just waiting for me to lift my eyes and look at him and say, who do you say that I am? Instead of trying to figure it out myself and trying to create myself. Um, He has something to say to you about who you are. We have a lot of ideas about who we are, both good and bad, and what we should be that don't come from him. Some of them could be um, subconscious vows that we've made. Maybe we've had an experience in our past and we've told ourselves, I'm never gonna be like that, right? Or I'm always gonna do this thing that maybe somebody else didn't do for me. And so we make these vows, this is who I'm gonna be. But sometimes that's not what God is saying to us. Sometimes that's not who he's created us to be. And and it's really just kind of our pain and our trauma um, taking a hold of us. We also could make agreements with the opinions and expectations of others. Maybe somebody has labeled us or given us a role or told us we couldn't do something and so we've internalized that and kind of put ourselves in a box and we're not able to see ourselves outside of that thing. We're not able to see ourselves as capable of doing something. Those, those subconscious vows and those agreements are things that we need to, we need to submit to the Lord and we need to repent for agreeing with those things because they will cripple us in what God has for our lives. So that's another point of repentance for us, and it's a point of freedom. It's a point of, it's really exciting. It's like God has known these things all along. When we come to him and repent, he's not like surprised, right? This isn't like Jerry Springer, like God is like, I know, it's fine. Um, so once we're clear on who God is and who he created us to be, then we can start to understand our desires and the plans that he has for us. So we all have these dreams and passions and things that we really want, and I think it's really awesome because I think if we, if we went through everybody in this room and, and asked you what they are, I think they'd all be different because God has just made us all so different and so unique. Um, some of them are from the Lord and some of them aren't. Second Peter 2.11 says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. So he's talking about as, as members of this upside down kingdom, as people who don't belong in the world that we're living in really, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So some of our desires, some of the things we want for ourselves are destructive. But some of them are just misguided attempts to walk in our calling because we haven't surrendered those things yet. Um, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I love that. Our desires are not too strong but too weak. I think sometimes we feel like God just doesn't get it but God's really saying, yes, I I absolutely get it, right? And you don't get it, there's so much more for you. So we'll be comfortable with way less than God's best for our lives if we never examine our desires, if we never pull them out and um, submit them to him. God knows the desires of our hearts. So Psalm 37, four says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is one of those verses that I've like hung on to because I think it just lets us know that God sees those things. That he cares about those things. Maybe that he created us that way. If you boil them down, I think a lot of those desires lead to the same things. And this is just kind of a list off the top of my head. I think you could probably think of others, but um, I think that a lot of our desires can go in, in a few different buckets. So um, one of them might be love and belonging. We just wanna, we wanna be loved, we just wanna belong. Peace and safety, purpose and self worth. So if we look at it in the context of, say, like a house, right? If you want a house, why do you want that thing? Maybe you want a, a safe place to be. Maybe you want a place to belong. Maybe you want a place to host parties, and you want a place to, um, to raise your family. Maybe you have a certain uh, just kind of picture of, of what you would like your kids to, to grow up as. Um, God knows that. And can you see though how it might not really be about the house, right? The house is is how you think these things are gonna happen. Um, But those desires can be fulfilled even without the house. He can meet those needs in one way or another as you follow him. Are there other ways you could use your gifts and give your kids a good life? Yeah, right? So don't fall into the trap of thinking that you need a certain thing or a circumstance to begin walking in your calling or to start being content with your life. Here's a few more verses, I think, that kind of speak to that. Matthew 6, 8 says, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. He knows. Matthew 7, 9, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, comparatively, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's a good father. He wants to give you good things. Psalms 84, says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold. So maybe the house is part of the plan, but maybe not. And the point is that you can trust him with your deepest desires because he put them there. He gave them to you. They're part of your calling and he will fulfill them as you trust in him. Um, so in my generation, I can't really speak for anybody else, but my generation growing up, I heard a lot that I could do anything, I could be anything, right? My life was like a blank slate. And so I think that a lot of people in my generation grew up with this um fear of missing out. Sometimes we call it FOMO, okay? I'm going to call it FOMO. F O M O, fear of missing out. Um so we grow up with this like paralyzing FOMO because we think that we we need to like construct our lives out of these infinite possibilities, right? And if we choose this thing over here, then we can't have that thing over there and we're missing out because we just want to do everything. Um, But the truth is, Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When Paul says that he can be content in any circumstance, it's because he knows his purpose, the antidote for, for FOMO is purpose, right? If you think you're writing your own story, you're gonna have FOMO for sure. Um, but purpose is where we find contentment and we find purpose in the Lord and with the things that he says he's already planned for us. Um, so I used to think that I was gonna be a missionary. That was, that was really where I thought my life was going when I was in college. Um, and I was either gonna work for Campus Crusade um, or I was gonna go live in a hut in Africa, those, that's what I thought I would do. And God had other plans. And as I followed him, um, it led me to living in Yuba City as a newly married person for like the first five years of our marriage. And that was like purgatory for me. It was so hard because I I really thought that I was going to be somewhere else entirely. And, and it was so different. I, I enjoy like... Different cultures. I'm fine with just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Like I thought I was just made for something completely different than suburban life, and so suburban life was like extremely uncomfortable f- for me for those five years, and um, and so I had to really surrender that to the Lord and say, "What are you doing? What is this? Like I know that this is where I'm supposed to be, but I hate it here. I don't like it. I don't see." I don't see the point. And um, you know what's cool is that as I, as I, as I kind of settled and I trusted God and I just kept putting one foot in front of the, the other, um, God did some really cool things in in my and Bob's life that totally fulfilled those desires that I had in me for um, just cross-cultural ministry, for just adventure, for just all the things that I thought that I was gonna get in Africa or in, you know, college ministry or whatever those things are. And there was a period of time where I, I was still kind of struggling to put myself where I thought I needed to be. And so I think part of the time that I spent in Yuba City was just God saying, like, oh, calm down, calm down. It's kind of like when I put my kids in time out and, and right now my three-year-old, she just, um, I have to kind of physically help her, you know? I have to sort of just hold her until she just, like, calms down and then she can listen to me and we can talk and we can move forward, right? But that was the first few years was just kind of me thrashing and emailing, you know, crew and Chico and not getting responses because God was like, no, that's not what I'm trying to do in your life right now. Um, but we found ourselves in this apartment ministry later. Um, when, once we moved here to Chico, that was just amazing because there were so many different, it was like the whole world was in that little complex. Like I had neighbors from all over the world and it was amazing. And I just remember stepping back at one point and going, God, you're so good. Like you knew, you knew that I just needed to trust you in these things. And now where I find myself in ministry, it's like, it's so deeply fulfilling. I don't, I no longer feel this need to, to run away to Africa or to do something. And what I realized in retrospect is that that would have been the easy thing for me to do, honestly. I wouldn't have had to deal with a lot of my, like, deep-seated issues about family and marriage and stuff like that. I really just kind of wanted to run away from all that stuff. Um, and so not only did God fulfill the, the desires of my heart, but he also fixed me in that process because the way I wanted to do it, I just wanted to, like, circumvent all the things, you know, and um, sometimes we got to do the hard things to, to find that purpose, um, but when we know it, when we know our purpose, we don't get so tripped up by the minor details. And this is something that I've really kind of uh, learned about sermon prep as well. Um, I used to just kind of dump all my like ideas out and then try to like put them together somehow and construct something out of that. And I've finally learned to kind of step back and say, "Okay, God, what's the what's the big thing, right? What what's the overarching thing that that you're wanting to say, and and create sort of an outline based on that, and then you know." Sort my ideas out and go. Okay, these fit and these don't, and that's okay, right? And it's so much less stressful that way. Um, but I think that there's. I think that we can live our life that way as well. And so, um, if we focus on the outline, if we focus on on the things that God uh, is highlighting for us, the thing that He says is important, then everything else will fall into place. And I think that He's got an outline for our life, and it's the Word. It's, it's the Bible, it's worship, it's community, and it's being in his presence. Because as we do those things, it develops our identity. Um, and it helps us answer the question, who do you say that I am? It helps us answer the question of who he is, and it also helps us define who we are. Um. So here's what I want to leave you with. Know who God is and know who you are in him. Hang on to those photos that you took and use them when you need them. Um, the second thing is examine your, your desires and give them back to the Lord, right? Be open, allow him to speak to you about those things. Be willing to maybe go in a direction that doesn't make sense to you if you know that that's where he's leading you. Um, examine, so, and also, Ask him to show you which ones are sinful and destructive and which ones could just be misguided attempts to walk in your calming. And then the last thing is to fight FOMO with purpose. Lean into your purpose. Go after that. Um, So let's go ahead and stand. I wanna pray with you guys, and then you can be dismissed. If you'd like some prayer, I'll be up here along with some others. Um, We'd love to pray with you. Okay, so let's just bow our heads. Just take a minute to just like be in God's presence. Just take a minute to realize that he created you. He created you. Just the way that you are with your desires, with your struggles, with all those things. And that he, the Bible says he already knows your purpose. He has prepared good works that you that you might walk in them. Jesus, we just thank you, Father, for being our Creator, for loving us more than we can possibly comprehend. God, I just pray for um, just the things that keep us from knowing who you are and who we are in you. God, would you point those things out to us this morning? The the places of pain, the places of um, self protection, the ways that that we might be avoiding. Um, all of the good things we have for you because we have a misunderstanding of who you are. And Lord, if we don't know you, if we're walking in this room this morning going, I don't know, I don't even know who you are. I don't know who God is. I don't know what it is to be a Christian. I just thank you, Father, that that, um, that's not an accident. Lord, that you have prepared us for good works that we might walk in them and we've walked in the door this morning. And so I just thank you that this is the beginning of something good. And I pray that we would just continue to seek after you, to know you, Lord, that we would lean into community, that we'd lean into your word and that you would just speak to us this week as we, um, as we seek you, as we ask you who you are and who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope that this week's message encouraged you. Life Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. here in Chico, California. You can also listen to us online during our 9 a.m. live stream. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, so please visit our website, lifechurchchico.org.